Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. From MSNBC's Your Business to Inc.com to Fit Small Business, proven. There's a whole bunch of places that are recognizing this podcast as a resource for small business owners and entrepreneurs who um, are looking for information on things they can do um, differently or better in their business. And that's because uh, folks, the guests that we get are people who are experts in their field and they come on the podcast, they give of their time and their expertise to help all of you. I am eternally grateful for that, as I know all of you are as well, given um, how much you're listening to it and how much it is getting noticed. Um, today, we have one of those kinds of guests we are very excited to have. My guest today is Corey Poirier. Corey is a multiple-time TEDx speaker. He's also the host of the top-rated Conversations with Passion radio show, founder of The Seeking Program and has been featured in multiple television specials. A columnist with Entrepreneur Magazine, he has appeared on CBS, CTV, NBC, ABC, is a Forbes Coaches Council member, and is one of the few leaders featured twice on the popular Entrepreneur on Fire show. Corey has interviewed over 4,000 of the world's top leaders. One of his most recent talks took him to New York City, where he had the extreme pleasure of speaking to at-risk youth at the Brooklyn Navy Yard Boys and Girls Club. We are so grateful to have you with us today. Thanks so much for joining me, Corey. Um, I'm super excited to be here, and thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. I, you know, we're going to be talking about leadership, which is 
you know, a big topic. We're going to talk about it as it pertains to business. Um, but, you know, sometimes I think it's a topic that we don't cover enough. Um, but I think it's so interesting that you've spoken to so many top leaders that I, I'm so interested in hearing, you know, some of the things that you've learned for them, from them. But first, the first question I want to ask is, what led you to want to reach out and talk to these leaders? So I guess where it all started, you know, if I go back in, in sort of history and figure out how this all came together, is that I started a business newspaper back when I was quite young, uh, 18, I believe. And how it got started is I was in this entrepreneurial program and they provided us with funding to start our business. And the catch 22 was that you needed to have a business to get the funding, of course. And we were planning to start this clothing slash CD store. Uh, this goes back to, I think, mid nineties. And of course, the challenge with that is it was going to be very cost intensive for these two 18 year olds that didn't have a whole lot in their bank account. And what we found out is that we, the business wasn't going to be feasible, but we had about three weeks left to come up with a new business idea if we wanted the funding and wanted to launch. And so, we came up with the idea of putting out a business publication where we'd be interviewing other people and just sharing their stories with the local community. And so that's really where it all started. But then what happened out of that is I became a little bit obsessed with learning from these high achievers, you know, trying to figure out what they did differently, what, uh, what made them tick why they were perhaps unique from other people, how they could do so much and still seem to have sanity at the end of the day and leftover time. Uh, so really it started with that publication was kind of the open door, the happy accident, but then I became obsessed with it and, and sort of haven't looked back because of um, you know, how much of an impact it had on my life. Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love that story. And I, and I love that it, um, it sort of came about, you know, it was one of these things and that you were open to watching what, you know, how it was transforming or, you know, how it was actually coming into being and rolling with it. I think that's a really important thing um, that we all need to be doing maybe a little bit more of instead of getting in our lane and being so heads down in our lane that we don't see opportunity. Absolutely. And I, I won't say, here's the thing, I won't say that it was always easy. Of course, first of all, dedicating the time to it. I don't think people realize how much time it takes. And you, you obviously know, but how much time it takes interviewing people, preparing for interviews. Um, if you're involved in the editing, how much time that takes. It's a, it's a bigger process than people think. But then there's the flip side, which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily realize, which is the other side of it, Diane, which is the rejection that you get. And, and I don't mean that it's not the level of rejection you might get if you were, say, submitting a manuscript and having it rejected. But, you know, you still go into this hoping that everybody will say yes to your interview. And, you know, then you come across somebody, uh, as an example, Jack Canfield. Uh, so your listeners may know him as the chicken soup for the soul co-creator. And, you know, when I approached them, I was told he turns down nine out of every 10 interviews. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that goes into it. First of all, it's not easy to reach these people. And then secondly, it's also, um, you know, it's not something that I don't think people realize how much time goes into it. So it, it certainly was, uh, I guess we'll say a bold move, but the good part is I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes ignorance really is bliss, right? <laughs> yeah, it was in my case for sure. <laughs> that's so great. 
So what's one crucial thing uh, regarding growing a business that you learned by, you know, going through those interviews with those leaders? I, you know, there's, there's some key things that are, are certainly, I'm going to say, um, well, I call them timeless secrets, but common elements that these, and I call them enlightened super achievers. That's what I, the tagline I put on the people that I'm interviewing. Uh, but one of the, I guess we'll say most important ones or crucial ones I've noticed in relation to business growth would be the power of or understanding the importance of saying no to all the things that would detract you from your goal or purpose. So you can say yes on the few things that will actually move the needle for your business. So there's so once, and this is the amazing part, the busier you get, it's almost like the celebrity thing where uh, at first they can't get money and they're, you know, trying to become an actor and they're living five to an apartment. And then whenever they become big, then everything's given to them for free. Like the, you know, the swag bags and all that stuff. It's the same type of thing when you're starting out in business, you, you struggle to find opportunities. You'll do anything you can, but then once you get busier, all of a sudden you have to start saying, what do I say no and yes to? Because there's more opportunities than you could ever fulfill. So what I've noticed is the people that are able to grow the business are the ones that can focus on the opportunities that are the right ones, but say no to everything else. I think that is so critical. And I'm so glad that that is uh, the answer to the question because I, I get it. I guess my follow-up question is, I think people are listening, you know, will be listening to this thinking to themselves, yeah, okay, I get it, I have to say no, but how do I do that? You know, a lot of people are uncomfortable saying no, or they feel like they're going to miss an opportunity if they do. You know, what are they, did, did these leaders have input on how they go about doing that? So, yeah, so I'll give you an example, uh, one that really, I guess, sort of stands out and speaks to me. And it's kind of, I guess it's one where I started using this because it, it made sense to me. But Shailene or Shalene Johnson, I've heard people pronounce her name both ways. Um, so Shalene or Shailene Johnson, what I'll say is she told me that... Um, she struggled with saying no because much like me, I think she wanted to say yes to everybody and hated having to say no to people, but she had a system for doing it. And, and I love the system and I started using it myself. And then I come to find out a lot of high achievers use the same system, whether they know it or not. And what her system is, is that first of all, she has to figure out what to say no to. And I can tell you what my approach for doing that is, but even in terms of how she says it, which I think is so delicate, because people, if you're saying no to them, it's easy to insult them or them to feel like, you know, why, you know, why would you say no to me? Why won't you help me? So what she does is she actually says, um, you know, I, as you know, I run the business like a family business, even though it's a large empire. Uh, it's like a family business. So we intersperse our family with our, our business time. So let me check with, and in this case, it'd be our husband, Brett, let me check with Brett and see what we might have on the go before I say, yes, I can take it on. And then I'll get back to you and let you know for sure. And if I can't take it on, then I'll at least recommend somebody else who might be able to help you. And what I love about that is that, first of all, you feel well, she's taking it, you know, she's actually considering it. And she may decide to do it, of course, but she's actually considering it. Uh, secondly, well, it's hard to argue with the fact that she wants to make sure she places focus on family as well or not do a conflict with something that he's already planning. And then the other side is she offers them support and says, well, you know, I'll connect you with so-and-so if I can't do something or I'll connect you with somebody who may be able to help. And so I think it's a very 
to me, that's a very politically correct way uh, to say no, where everybody feels good about it rather than everybody feeling bad about it. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I think that is great. Because it does, and, it covers all those bases. Well, and the other thing too, Diane, if, you, if you'd like, I'll share how I decide for me personally what to say yes and yeah. no to, because that's the secondary part. And so this yeah. ties into the, the new book um, that I've been just working on like crazy, because the, the book is called The Book of Why and How. And not to give a plug for the book, but what I'll say is early on in the book, we talk about this idea of how do I choose no's and yeses? And it's, it sounds simple and, and trust me, it's not always simple. But what I do is I, I have this personal mission statement that I put together. Uh, so people can do their own personal mission statement really easy. It can be as simple as a sentence or a few words. And mine is simply to be the guy who donates, motivates, inspires, educates, and or entertains. And where this comes into play is that's five things I want to make sure I'm doing in any case, in any, anything I'm doing and taking on, it has to be uh, some of those. So what I'll do is if, if it's four or five, then it becomes such an easy yes with no regrets. But if it's one or two or less of those five, then it's such an easy no with no regrets. So what I mean by that is if somebody says, hey, um, I have an opportunity for you. We're looking for somebody to host this new show. And then I go down the list and say, well, is it, will it allow me to inspire people? Will it allow me to entertain people? Is there a way I can give back? If it's one or two of those, even though I've, you know, I would love to say yes to the show. And 10 years ago, I would have jumped at the opportunity. It still becomes a no. Or if it's going to be, you know, for example, if it was a show that is just like, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, one of those shows where they do like all the stunts, like, you know, run into a tree and black in their eyes or whatever. Um, <laughs> like it was one of those shows that hits none of the five of those. So it's an easy no. But if yeah. it's a show that want, is going to allow me to inspire, if there's a component to it that allows me to give back to others, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if it's most of those five, then it's either a take it under advisement or an easy yes. And so that's how I choose. And if it's for all the things that are less than two, let's say, sometimes three of those, it's usually a no and it's an easy no. And I do it in a delicate way, but then I move on to the next thing. So I really like that a lot. So it's really a matter of understanding what you want to be sure you're doing and it you know whatever it is you're being asked to do has to hit on the majority of those aspects in order for it to be something that's easy to say yes to or if it doesn't easy to say no to cuz you're not going to be able to fulfill your own mission right absolutely and this was coming up with this was really important for me too Diane because that's the big challenge i mean it's it's easy in theory to say just say no and yes but when we're making decisions it's not always easy to decide which way to go you know it's just like yeah. how do you decide which business to invest in right there's there's no easy yes or no and there's no guarantee but at least if you have some parameter or some system you have a better chance of getting it right more often than not. And so this became a simple, easy system that I thought anybody could put in place, which is simply to say, what are the key things if I listed three or five of those things that anything I do should be accomplishing? And is this thing that I'm being asked to do accomplishing them? Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the reasons why I really like that is because I think when people feel solid, uh, in the decision they're making, then it's easy for them to say it out loud. It's when they, they don't really feel like, like they can't, they know they don't want to do something, but they feel uncomfortable saying it. 
it's because they haven't really thought about the impact that it would have on what they're trying to accomplish. If they can figure that out, then it's easy to say, uh, you know, not at this time or, you know, thank you very much and whatever. Uh, right. It's just, it's a, it ends up being a different story. Yeah, and, and to tie it back to accelerating your business growth, obviously you can tie those things into business growth, meaning you can decide, you can set those parameters of my five, you could have those tied to business growth. Mine, yeah. what I've discovered is the way I approach mine, it is tied to business growth without me saying it. Because when I'm doing four or five of those, my business grows. So yeah. it's, it's still tied to it. But you can go, a person that's very analytical could drill a lot deeper than me. I've just found that when I'm doing those, I'm on the right track. Yep. Yep. That's great. Okay. Thank you for that. So did you find that there, I, and I think you actually said this, there were common traits of the top business leaders. Um, can you talk about the three most common and how they actually use those traits to grow their businesses? Yeah, hundred percent. So the, so I call them the timeless secrets and where that came from is, is I recognized when I started doing these interviews and this research that what I was discovering in a lot of ways were fundamentals similar to what Napoleon Hill discovered when he wrote Think and Grow Rich after his interviews. And so that's where the timeless came in. And the secrets part is it's really, it's not necessarily a secret to everybody, but to people that are struggling for how can I you know, reach that, what we talked about, I mentioned the enlightened super achiever level. Um, it's something that maybe it's a little shift in something they've heard, but they haven't heard it before in that way. So that's where the timeless secret sort of name came in. Uh, so that sort of top three, if you will, I would say the first one is really tied to the, that power of no. It's not the same, but it's tied to it in the sense that it relates to focus. So what I've noticed is the highest of achievers have a great innate ability to single task at a time when multitasking is what everybody else wants to do. So I've jokingly said we need to make single tasking sexy again. And really what that means to me is understanding that for every time you get distracted, it takes more minutes than the distraction took to get back into your genius zone. And what I've noticed is these high achievers spend most of their time in their genius zone because they found a way to single focus or single task. And so that could be relating to time blocking. So in other words, they say, this is what I'm doing for this hour. Uh, that could be in relation to how do they turn off the phone when they're sitting across from somebody. Uh, so that ties into the saying no to the phone um, so that they can then say yes to the phone when they're not with somebody. And so they've really understood how to get back into the power of focus. And I guess there's two sides to growing your business in relation to that. One is the studies that keep proving over and over again that single tasking is the way we're designed to work. And that single tasking accomplishes more than multitasking. And I mean, you can even, you can even look at the organizations that have built themselves, like Google, let's say, designed in a way that allows their employees to single task and focus on certain things at certain times. And the result is they can work four days a week and, you know, have naps in the middle of the day and still get more accomplished than companies that don't. So uh, I'm reading a book right now called The One Thing. I'm about halfway through. Uh, I was on the show recently, and this is what the, the person that put the book out, they've done tons of study around this. But what they've discovered is the people that focus on one thing at a time and or the one big thing enjoy business growth over the organizations who try to juggle everything, even though we believe juggling everything gets more done. 
so that's a, that's the number three. That is so great. I love that. I, I have something I'll have to find it that says multitasking is the ability to I think it's the you know, like oh here it is. It says multitasking, screwing up several things at once, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you know yeah. it's it's a, it's interesting, tied to that phone thing I mentioned too. Uh, Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari author, I had him on the show, and he's worked with a lot of the Googles and Blackberries and Microsofts of the world. And I asked him about multitasking in terms of using your phone, let's say, when you're in meetings with people and what have you. And he he, he was being very politically correct because he obviously didn't want to burn a bridge of a future speaking engagement, probably. But what he said was, which I thought was so profound, is he said, one thing I've learned is that you can't give 100% focus to a person and a device. And so if you go in and sit in front of somebody and you're juggling between the device and the person and the next person goes in and gives the person complete focus, there's a better chance that they'll earn your business and win your business and that meaning the business that you would have gotten if you would have been focused with the client. So when we talk about business growth, that's a direct example. In his opinion, nine times out of 10, everything else being equal, the person that focuses completely on the person versus the person that gives half of their focus to the person and half to the device the completely focused person will win. And, and I think most of us, even if we like using our phone a lot, would agree when somebody gives us their to total attention, uh, there's a better chance we'll do business with them than somebody who's always juggling back and forth. Yeah, definitely. So and that's number three. Awesome. So I can move on to number two then. Great, thank you. So absolutely. So number two is what I, you know, I've essentially described it as lifelong learners being leaders. And so, what I'm getting at and driving at there is the people that feed their mind are typically the ones who uh, have more success. And so when I say this, you'll notice I said lifelong learners. People used to say readers are leaders. And I think there's something wrong with that on two levels. One, that implies they're always picking the right things to read. And, you know, as we know, you could read Fifty Shades of Grey or Harry Potter <laughs> and gain some knowledge, but it's not necessarily going to help you grow as a business owner. So, um, well, I changed it to learners being leaders. And then the flip side is what's really important about the learning now is you don't have to be a reader anymore. There's so many more options, like what we're doing right now. You know, people can learn through audio now, through TED Talks, what have you. Uh, so what I've discovered is the highest of achievers know the importance of continuing to feed their mind. And then I'll go one step further. In a time where we're information heavy, wisdom light, you know, that's the world we're in today where it's hard to get to the actual wisdom that's gonna grow your business and take you in the right direction, these highest of achievers have figured out how to become an efficient learner, whether that means picking out their sources, you know, so they say, okay, here's who I wanna learn from and I'll follow them regularly, or whether that means I listen to TED Talks because I know that's gonna get me more knowledge than XYZ, you know, watching whatever else you could be watching like Netflix. So in terms of that second trait, I've noticed that they continue to figure out unique ways to keep feeding their mind. And in terms of uh, business growth, I mean, again, uh, there's lots of studies to back this up, uh, but I will say that I did a talk with a group called Junior Achievement, and on the same card was another group called Ceridian. And Ceridian, what they do is they're a learning company, a payroll company, and then they also do research. And so they shared during the talk that I, I delivered at the same time with them, they shared as part of their talk that they had recently done a study that the uh, that they did a study to discover that only 23% of today's employees are actively engaged. 
so when they say actively engaged, that means those are the ones like a Disney employee or an Apple, where when you go there, they just seem to love and live for working where they work. And the larger percentage are the people that are just simply engaged, which means they show up and get a paycheck and they do the job as required. And then the secondary, second largest, which was larger than actively engaged, is actively disengaged. And so those are the people that try to poison your company and bring your company down or, and or say, you know, if they work for a service provider like an AT&T, they're the ones that will come in and if you start complaining about the company, they join in. You know, those are the ones that are hard to have working for you and that actually impede your company. So what I take from this, and, and I think we all know if you have actively engaged employees, the more you have, the more successful your company is going to be. I mean, Disney and Apple don't seem to struggle during recessions. And I think having actively engaged cast members or geniuses or whatever Apple calls theirs, um, you're going to have more success. And so what they discovered, which is really cool, is the number one way to get people more actively engaged, whether it's individually, so getting yourself engaged or your employees, is through offering learning opportunities. So to me, this backs up the idea that if you want to grow your business and have more engaged employees, which helps you do that, provide them with learning opportunities. And like I said, that's one study, but there's all kinds of studies that demonstrate that the people that continue feeding their mind are the people that rise to and, and stay at the top, which is why I think the leaders of yesterday from back in the 30s and 20s, you know, the Einsteins and Fords, even if they only finished grade three, they had a personal library in their house for a reason. They understood the power of feeding your mind long after school or your formal school is done. So that's number two. Wow. I love that one too. So drum roll, please. What is number one? <laughs> so number one, and this is the one is challenging because I believe that you need to, if you're doing something like this, you need to be full disclosure and share sort of your research findings. Uh, so even if it's one where you know when you're, you're preaching to a choir with certain maybe shows audiences, like I might be with yours, but the number one, and this is by far the most common trait, is these enlightened super achievers have found their calling, they're living their purpose, they're living their passion, they found their why. And so why I say it's challenging sometimes, because you'd love to share one that, you know, that basically certain groups, like it's just basically one that there's no rhyme or reason as to why that one is the fit. But in this one, in this case, I realized that, you know, a lot of your show listeners may, if they're business owners and entrepreneurs, may have discovered their why or their passion. So it may not be something new to them, but what could be new is figuring out how to tap into that why or how to focus tighter on that why. In other words, or maybe how to, how if you are a multi-passionate person, how to have one why that really shines and is your key why. Or in my case, if I do multiple things, which relate back to my, um, what I'm trying to do with my purpose, which is to create invisible ripples and to do that maybe with, um, platforms like a show like yours or speaking from a stage or what have you, maybe it's figuring out what your key passion is and then the platforms just become your vehicles for doing it rather than having them as separate whys or passions. So going back to the original point, it's understanding your why and figuring out what your passion is and then the secondary part is figuring out how to do that most of the day and make sure it's your true why and then turn that into profit. So if we're talking to, or if I'm speaking to an individual business owner, then I would say um, they need to figure out how to spend most of their time in their genius zone, which will typically be their passion zone. And then the secondary part, and by the way, that'll of course grow your business because the more you're doing the thing you were put here to do, 
the more you're going to deliver value to people. And the more you deliver value, the more profit's going to follow. But then if you have somebody that's listening to the show that maybe is a company manager or working for a company, once again, I don't think I have to do a whole lot to back up the fact that if, you're, if you have more passionate employees, you're going to drive more profit. Because if you have passionate employees, then they're going to bring passion to the customers and customers are going to like the experience they, that they have when they come into your operation and they're going to want to come back again and tell other people to go back. And again, we have lots of companies that can prove and back that up based on their numbers. So how it relates to business growth is whether you're more passionate and figure out how to tap into your passion or whether you can find employees that are passionate as people hire passionate people and bring that into your company, you're going to have less fights. You're probably going to have less uh, absenteeism. And these things all, of course, drive profit as well. Because what I've noticed when I've done these interviews is the people that have found their passion seem to be healthier, sick less often. People want to be around them more. They accomplish more. They're more focused. They get more done overall. Uh, so that's the key one. And like I said, whether it's somebody listening who's saying, okay, well, how do I find my why now? Or it's somebody listening who's already found it and says, how do I harness this? I would say hire for passion and train the rest um, would be one thing. And then I would say, uh, make sure you have employees that are passionate. So that's, you know, that's the big number one. And, and like I said, it, it, uh, I had a client actually, who, what they did is they said, we hire, uh, we hire, and we fire easy. Uh, we hire tough and we fire easy. That's exactly how they said it. Um, and then I have other clients who say we hire for passion and we train the rest. And I think that's on the right track, which is the idea of getting passionate people on board. And then you can worry about the technical side. Exactly. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like attitude is really, really key because it's all about the culture and the energy and people wanting to uh, have an impact and make a difference and, and be part of something bigger than themselves and if, when people walk in with that sort of an attitude you can teach them how to do the job absolutely and there's a great book called the customer comes second which in some ways is misleading because you know you might think okay well you know where where does the uh where does that all come in and how can you treat your customer like number two but the the thought process is that if you treat your employees like they are everything, then they will take care of treating your customers like they are everything. And if you're the CEO or leader of a company, your first touch point probably isn't with the customer. So why wouldn't you want your employees uh, to be the ones that are making the customer come first and you can make them come second? Yeah, I, you know, it's, that's so interesting because um, I, there's so much to that. And I do think it's counterintuitive for people, but if they, if they really do think about who's dealing with your customer, who's facing your customer, the, you know, the way that you serve your customer is by serving your staff. And a lot of people will say that you can tell a lot about how a company is going to treat its customers by how it treats its employees. Absolutely. I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Let me take a quick sponsor break and then we'll continue. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 
80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg, both of whom have been guests on this podcast. So visit audibletrial.com slash business growth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we are talking with Corey Poirier about leadership and business and how they go together. Um, and um, so, Corey, I really appreciate those, those three characteristics or, or traits of highly effective leaders. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk some about storytelling. We, we hear about it, you know, it seems to be like the buzzword these days, and we hear a lot about it, but why is it important um, to business growth and effective communication within and without an, a company? So storytelling, you know, it, it, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, even though our show, so my show is called Conversations with Passion, I recognize now that the word passion has become sort of a cliche or overused, which is sad, um, because I still am passionate about the word, but it is that case. And I even mention that to guests when I bring them on, the fact that I, you know, when I ask them about passion, I say, I understand it's overused. And so, you know, in terms of storytelling, my fear, like you said, is that it's an overused thing now, or at least it's working its way toward that. But I don't think it'll ever go out of style because it's worked since the beginning of time for a reason. And so in terms of how we can use it in an organization, you know, I'll go to those, uh, you know, those companies like, instead of, I won't hit the nail on the head with companies I've already mentioned, but let's think of a Starbucks. And, and I say these companies, there's lots of small companies doing the same thing as your Disney's, your Apple's, your Starbucks, your Harley's. But I mention these companies because I think we mostly know who they are. So it's easier to, to find them. And so if you think about a Starbucks, there's a story behind Starbucks that most of us know or resonate with, whether it's the, uh, what is it called? The third home, third home between the office and work, I think is what they call it, or something along those lines. Uh, but even their give back approach and how they, you know, what, how they uh, derive their beans and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, there's a story there. And that's what I feel we resonate with. Disney, there's a story there, even if you go back to Walt Disney. But our ability to tell our own story and I don't want to be abstract. I mean, I'm willing to dive deeper, but our ability to tell our own story, whether it's our business's story, so you talk about company, or whether it's our personal story, I believe is often the difference maker between, you know, let's call it the people that don't get it uh, and don't get to the top and the people that stay at the top. So you think about a, um, a Disney who is, uh, was exceptional at storytelling. And what I've noticed is, Diane, is that what's really cool is any of those companies or whether it's me out telling my story, there's always certain elements, and I can share some of those, but certain elements that are in place. I mean, I studied this and learned that there's certain elements that are always in place in these effective stories, these stories that grab universal attention, the viral videos that we see. I believe they're all built around story, but it's important to know that there's a good way to tell a story and a bad way. And if you know how to tell it the right way, again, I believe profit follows. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Dave Carroll. He's a Hey House author now. Dave was in a band called you uh, called uh, Sons of Maxwell. And he uh, had an incident, which some people listening will recognize this, but United Airlines broke his guitar. 
which was, you know, oh, seemingly... Oh, I know that story. <laughs> okay, so you know, who, you know who Dave is then. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so Dave, uh, for those that don't know, here's the shorter, shortest version. And he told the story in a five-minute music video. So I should be able to tell it shorter than that. So basically, United Airlines breaks his guitar. He goes to tell them what happened. They basically say, you're on your own. Good luck. And they actually even added in, uh, that's why we get you musicians to sign the waiver. Luckily for Dave, he didn't sign the waiver. They forgot to get him to sign it. And, but Dave, for a year tried to get some recourse. He basically said, look, my guitar, they broke his Taylor guitar, $2,500 almost brand new guitar. And he said, I can never play it live again, which is what I bought it for, but somebody can fix it for 1200. And what I'm willing to do, this was his last kind of offer to United. If you give me $1,200 in travel vouchers, we'll call it square. And $1,200 in travel vouchers wouldn't cost them a whole lot, especially if a seat's empty on the flight he picks. Um, so just the cost probably to print them out and service them you know on the flight but anyway so what happened was they said no so dave said okay well i was waiting to hear your final answer so now that i know what it is i'm gonna make i'm gonna write three songs about my experience and i'm going to uh, share the songs and and the lady who we wrote who he was talking to he said once the video hits i think he said twenty thousand views i'm going to send you a copy so you have a video with your name in it <laughs> and that's kind of you know more of a joke but he said i'm looking at my guitar music my only tool here so long story short uh dave wrote the songs there's three videos out the first one is the one most people know about um but again it's just called united breaks guitars and he wrote a catchy song about united airlines breaking his guitar he told the story in the video uh, it was so catchy that people could sing along united breaks guitars and remind them that United broke his guitar. And the end result is, because of that story, and, and I should add too, Dave filmed the video for $150 in a small little uh, place in uh, the province of Nova Scotia. And that video uh, has been seen over 15 million times, if you check it out on YouTube right now. The story's been heard, they estimate, by over 100 million. It landed him a book deal with Hay House. He speaks on the road sharing the United Breaks Guitar's story. Wayne Dyer is the person who recommended to Louise Hay that uh, he should be signed to Hay House. Uh, he has had a speaking career for seven years now, which keeps him extremely busy. And he's been on The View 2020, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was all built from a five-minute story that people can relate to. So back to my original point, if you know how to tell a story and know the key elements, I believe it is, it's, it's probably the biggest difference maker, again, between somebody, a company that we drive by and say, hey, we should stop there, versus a company say, that we say we have to stop there. Or when a recession happens, we say, oh, should we eliminate them, versus we can never eliminate them. That's part of our experience. So to me, that's the power of story. I mean, I, I, I can also, if you want, tell you a few of the key elements, whichever direction you want me to go, Diane, but that's the power of story. And like I said, if you can do it well, it's the game changer. Well, let's talk about what some of the key elements are because I, you know, this really is what people are talking about and it really is a differentiator. And I, I totally get what you're saying that when, when you can tell your story and people can connect to that story, it can make the difference in your business growth and in your success. I'm, I guess I'm not sure people really know where to start with that. So, yeah, you talking about some of the elements would be awesome. Yeah, 100%. So uh, I'll say in terms of where it all begins, obviously, I mean, there's some elements I'll tell you really quickly because even just to go through them would take, you know, as long as, uh, as telling a story. But I guess in terms of where it all begins, of course, you need to figure out what, what story you're going to tell. Let's say your signature story. What elements do you share? Which elements do you leave out? So that's a part that you kind of have to, if it's your story, you have to sort of go through that on your own. 
but you should be able to look at the story and say, what's universal about it? What connects about it? Why is this a story that people will learn from? So yeah, so and so the, I guess the key elements when we talk about story, um, first you need to know what your story is. You also need to know um, how you're going to tell it. Is it going to be a short story, a long story? Is it going to be visual? Are you going to uh, tell it in a video? Are you going to tell it one-on-one? -on -one? So you need to work out all those things sort of on your own. But what I want to tell you about is what should be in your story. And so again, and I can use an example, but either way, I'll tell you some of the crucial elements. And I can actually go back to Dave's story that I mentioned and, and highlight some of them. But basically, there's a, a thing in the stand-up comedy world, and I spent uh, nine years, 700 shows performing stand-up. Uh, so of course, I learned a lot about story there as well. But in terms of story, there should always be three key takeaways or points. Uh, and that, by the way, comes from well, storytelling, but also stand-up. You know, in stand-up, if you listen to jokes, usually people will uh, tell you, like, a setup, setup punch, or, um, you know, if they have jokes and they have, let's say, a theme, like they have, they're building around pets and that's their material, then they'll have maybe three pet stories. But comedy and comics have always believed that things work best in threes. Well, what we've discovered is story works the same because you won't remember more than three elements of a story. So first of all, you should figure out what are the three elements of your story. And what I, I have a little exercise people can take on if they want. Uh, they can reach out to me if they want me to kind of give them the video on it or anything. But the, the nuts and bolts of it is if you take a piece of paper, I call this the spiderweb method. And I've, I learned it in stand-up, but I've heard it many times since by different people using it in different ways. But basically, you take a piece of paper, you draw a, a circle in the center, and that becomes the body of your spider. And that becomes the body of your story. So let's say um, you, let's say your story is uh, Dave Carroll's, let's say, United Breaks Guitars. So the story is about United Airlines breaking his guitar. So they, Dave would write his name, and then United, United Airlines, United Breaks Guitars would be the, the body. And then what he might want to do is he might want to decide to focus on three things. He might decide to focus on the lady he spoke to who wouldn't help him out. He might decide to focus on where he was traveling and what happened to the guitar. And he might decide to focus on... Um, the fact that United Airlines, um, basically the staff members were throwing the guitars in the tarmac and that's how it happened. So then Dave might uh, draw three legs, we'll call it, on the spider, basically from his body, and he'd write in each section those things. So United Airlines broke my guitar, let's say that was the, for the body. And then inside there, he might say employees were rough with my guitar. And this is just rough mapping into a story. But then what that allows him to do is he has now three central points within his story. So that's the first thing, had three central points. Uh, the second thing is figure out, that you, figure out the universal element in your story. So the universal element in Dave's story is we can all relate to an airline breaking our guitar, but in our world, it might not be breaking their guitar. It might be um, moving us from a certain seat to another one. It might be kicking us off a flight and we don't feel we did anything wrong. You know, it could be whatever that could be. It could be canceling our flight with short notice. But we can all relate to whether it's airlines or customer service in general, somebody quote unquote uh, breaking our guitar or not giving us our catch up or whatever that looks like. So that's the universal element and there should be a universal element. It's beneficial if you can add in uh, humor or something that actually brings the person into the story. Uh, so, you know, obviously in Dave's case, the, the music video itself is very humorous. You know, it shows the person throwing the guitar and the other person trying to catch it but misses it. And so uh, humor is another great uh, component to have in a good story. Uh, another thing in the story, you should have a hero. So every story should have a hero. So in this case, Dave obviously is the hero. Um, you could actually say the guitarist too, but Dave is the hero. And it doesn't have to be a person, but you should have a hero. And you should have a villain. 
And so obviously we can say, I guess, United is sort of the villain in his story or airlines, whichever way you want to take that. Um, so it should have a hero and a villain. And so, and the three, three uh, parts of the story I mentioned, that could also be three acts. So it could be the first, you know, what happened to Dave in the worst day of his life. United Airlines breaks his guitar. Uh, then the second act should be the middle, which, you know, what happened in between him trying to reach out to United. And then the end um, should be how Dave transformed in some way or what it did for United or, or what it did for Dave's career. Um, so your story should have three acts. So it should have basically a progression of the character, the main character. So top of my head, those are some of the key elements. A hero and a villain, it should have three points to it. It should have a three-act structure. I mean, that always seems to work. There should be some conflict or drama in the story. There should be a universal element. And it should have an emotion connected so we can engage, whether that's crying or laughing or whatever that might look like. So if you can go through a story, and it can be a two-minute story or a three-hour story, and incorporate those elements and weed out the rest, in my experience, that's part of what it takes to create a powerful story. Wow. Thank you. I, it, it's so great because it's it I love the examples and I love using you know Dave's story as an example because it really helps uh, create form for people it's not something you know it's not a general theory so thank you for that 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 is really very helpful Absolutely. so let's ex let's expand it a little bit um, so there's storytelling and there's effective communication so talk to me some about the importance for business leaders to really be exceptional communicators or at least understand what it means to be a world-class communicator. So, you know, going beyond, obviously the storytelling is, is really one component of that and I'll add in a little bonus, if people are using PowerPoints uh, to do, let's say, a presentation, whether it's to staff, whether it's to a customer, or whether it's a talk on a stage, one of the big changers for me was uh, I watched videos by people like Steve Jobs, because I learned that he was one of the world's best communicators based on many studies. And I looked at what, what were they doing, and Tony Robbins, what were they doing differently? And what I noticed is they would have an image on a slide and then they'd share a story from the image. So they get away from bullet points. So first sort of takeaway is get away from bullet points. Um, but the cool part is bullet points don't have to be in the form of a PowerPoint. Bullet points could be the facts and figures that you say uh, and that make your, you know, the person you're talking to, their eyes glaze over. Or it could be you sharing what I call the business fact, you know, the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Trim that out as well. So figure out when you're communicating with people, what's the extra stuff, especially if you're a very social person, that you add into your stories that the person doesn't want to hear because let's face it we're all distracted easier these days we're all busier than ever so we want the the coles notes or reader's digest version of our stories so first of all figure out the crucial elements uh, leave them out when you're communicating so that doesn't have to be just stories when you're communicating figure out how to trim out all the things that don't need to be there um, that you know this takes practice it's over time but it can just start as simple as when you have a meeting take notes from the meeting or record it and then listen back to the recording and say, you know, when I conduct meetings, what are all the extra stuff in there that it doesn't need to be there? And you'll start to get really good at trimming out the things that don't belong, if you will. So that's one area of becoming an effective communicator. A, a big part, which a lot of people miss, is becoming an active listener. So truly listening and then asking great questions as a follow-up. Uh, but make sure you're talking less. So there's a general rule that says uh, listening 80% of the time, talking 20 
So basically, listening more than you talk is another way to become an effective communicator. Uh, and also clarifying. So if you're not sure what a person is meaning, ask them, clarify, and avoid miscommunication because miscommunication is where most communication falls apart, you know, where people think something's heard or understood when it really wasn't. So those would be some of the key areas that I would, uh, that I would share, Diane, is if you want to make sure you're communicating well, well, again, use the elements of storytelling I mentioned, and then go to the point of trimming out the stuff that doesn't need to be there, listen really well, ask good questions, uh, figure out the, the stuff you don't need to have and, and trim that out, and, and basically find a way to listen more than you talk. Those are excellent. Excellent. Uh, it's so funny, because as you were talking, I was thinking about um, one of the things that I talk about when I am doing sales workshops and things is um, there's a lot of things that are, that are important to you that your prospect just doesn't care about. So don't share it. You know, you first you have to listen to your prospect to hear what actually matters to them and then only talk about that stuff. You'll have time later on to talk about other stuff maybe, but in that moment, that's the only thing they're thinking about. And what, small business owners and salespeople do is they think they have to tell them everything in that first conversation because that's their opportunity and no one's listening. So, you know, don't do it. Agree completely. Yeah. Wow. So um, I really appreciate all this information. I just think it is so incredibly valuable. I'm wondering if you can tell my listeners more about the book and um you know, how they're able to get it and how they can find you and, and, you know, all the stuff you've got going on. Yeah, happy to do it. And so the book itself, uh, it's pretty easy. The book is, is called the book of why and how. And so it, and when I say it's pretty easy, I mean, it's easy to get, uh, get your hands on a copy of it. So we've set up a, a website called the book of And for the month of November, what we've done is we've done a, um, a Kickstarter campaign to launch the book. And then beyond that, the book will still be available there. We'll still, so if you're listening to this after November, that's fine too. Uh, but during the month of November, we decided to go the Kickstarter route. Uh, somebody that uh, I follow for quite a while went that route and recommended it to me. So uh, this is book number 13th, and I thought I'd try to give it a unique try. But, um, but yeah, so the book itself, what it's about is essentially it, it's made up of three acts. So we go back to the storytelling thing, but it's three sections. Uh, I've titled them acts, acts because I'm a big fan of plays and what have you. And in those sections, the first one is about your why. So going back to what we were talking about, about finding your passion and purpose, because I noticed it was the number one trait of the highest of achievers, I decided to dedicate the first section of the book to, first of all, uh, helping people find their why. We go through exercises, we walk people through, and then we even go into why not, why not them, why not now, uh, to try to show them that and I say them, I mean the reader, that you have the opportunity to change the world. Somebody's waiting for your story, and it truly can only be you to change the world in your unique way. You know, there was only one uh, duo of Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, so there could only be one Chicken Soup for the Soul series. There's only one Steve Jobs, so there could only be one iPhone, et cetera, et cetera. And so truly, you can uniquely um, create something that people will that will change lives and, and create an impact in people's lives. So that's what the first section is dedicated to. Second section is called uh, thriving, and it's a lot more principle based and action based. So it's similar to the 
the timeless secrets we've been talking about here. And it goes a lot deeper into how to actually take them in, into your life and adopt them. Uh, so the second section is really based on this timeless secret stuff. And then the third is called enlightened, the third section. And it's based on how to run your business in a more meaningful way, how to live your life in a more meaningful way. So I go into things like uh, meditation and yoga, running a meeting, meaningful business, but it's important for me to add for somebody that's not into meditation or yoga, I take it from an approach of a regular guy doing yoga, a regular guy doing meditation and get away from you have to hit it, sit on top of a certain mountain, cross-legged, eat, eating a certain thing to be meditating properly. Mine, I go a lot more into just the benefits of just taking time for yourself and taking a break and so on and so forth. So the enlightened section goes a lot more about running a business, like I say, a more meaningful way. And then there's a bonus section, which I'm really excited about, which includes uh, roughly 450 quotes by thought leaders we've interviewed over the years on our show and in general. And so this is literally, uh, you know, quotes by the late Zig Ziglar, by Jack Canfield, who I've mentioned, uh, Robin Sharma, who I mentioned in passing, James Redfield, the Celestine Prophecy author. And so these are quotes that I got their permission to run. They're from our interviews. And I really wanted to have it so that every one of those quotes on their own, just one quote could change a life. So, you know, the idea is that if you have 400 and some of them and one could change a life, you have the potential of changing a lot of lives. So that's the book. I mean, it's, we're talking thousands of hours put into this little, you know, 200 and some page book. And, uh, and that's why I put it together in terms of wanting to make this impact. And that's sort of the makeup of the book. And the idea, again, would be so that almost anybody, regardless of where they're at in their life, will have a part of the book that hopefully uh, impacts them and works for them. So that's, the, that's what the book is about. And That's I think, and, and I, you asked about how people can get their hands on it. Uh, again, the book yeah. of That's the best place to go. And then in terms of how they can connect with me and learn a little bit more about me, uh, if, if a person listening wants to reach out, wants to connect further, you could go to coreyporier.com. That's probably the safest hub. Uh, you know, that's the best one to go to. Uh, so coreyporier.com. And in there, you'll also find links to some of my social media and certainly reach out, connect with me, tell me you heard me on this show, uh, ask me for, uh, you know, thoughts I might have on certain things. You know, I love to be connected with people and engaged and making things happen. So that's probably the way I would recommend people reach out, coreyporier.com. That's terrific. Thank you. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. Can't wait to take a look at the book. Awesome, uh, Diane. Thank you. So you bet. I also want to thank the listeners and our sponsor. Get a free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Continue to prosper and be curious and make sure you go out and get Corey's book. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. I don't know what I was thinking when we named our dog Kitty. And this sweetie's become a true family member. So when we vacation, she comes too. That's why we love Red Roof. Not only are they pet friendly, you also get a great price on clean, comfortable rooms so you wake up rested and ready to hit the road again. And this summer, when we rest and repeat at Red Roof, staying two separate times can earn us a free night. Isn't that right, kitty? <coughs> Book at redroof.com. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? 
I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.